0: In my role as an executive coach, one of the things that I do when I start working with someone is I always like to get them to think about how they see themselves and how does that compare to how others see them. I like to ask them also how expansive is their network and what's the depth of the relationships. I also seek out to find out how they differentiate themselves. What's their competitive edge? Are they influential and do they have sponsorship? But the last question I like to ask is, are they seen as a thought leader and why would that be important to them in their career? I'm so excited to have Randall Craig here to speak on that subject. And he's a really interesting guy. How do I describe him? Passionate, compelling, charismatic. But aside from that, he's a serial entrepreneur. And he's a former public company executive who's put major newspapers, global financial institutions, and professional service firms online. He's the author of eight books. He's had 800 articles published, 36 white papers. How intimidating is that to me? And all of digital strategy. He helps organizations land their digital strategy. He's a speaker. He's a consultant. He's a leadership coach. And... In addition to all that, if that isn't enough, he's written a Broadway-style musical and he has a black belt in karate. So I'm glad we're kind of virtual because you'd be scary in person, Randall. But going back to the idea of thought leadership, I'm just really curious to know why would that be important today? And what is thought leadership in your perspective?
1: Those are great questions because the terms get bandied around an awful lot these days. You know, if you think about thought leadership, you know, every a lot of people have got expertise, especially most of the people listening to this particular podcast. But how do you move from having expertise to being a thought leader? You know, and, and there's a difference between the two of them. Uh, why is it important? Um, it's a competitive advantage. You know, if you think about how organizations and how people compete, they really do so in three dimensions. Price expertise, and trust. And, you know, we'll leave price aside for the time being. Mm-hmm. But expertise, at the pinnacle, is thought leadership. And trust, the pinnacle of that is being a trusted advisor. And every organization strategy is sort of bound by those three dimensions, price, expertise, and trust. So uh, it just makes sense to, to, to ask the question, well, how do we become a thought leader? How do we demonstrate it? What is it? Um, how do we uh, become a trusted advisor? And by the way, uh, they are different things.
0: Yeah, I'm curious to know, what are the differences? So if you just look at thought leadership, what that would be, and if you could explain how it differentiates.
1: Okay, so um, thought leadership means having, well, it's not called thought followership, is it? it? It's all about do people look to you as being truly an expert in that particular area? And and when they look to you, they look at little bits of evidence. And what is that evidence? And, you know, in a certain sense, if I were to define thought leadership, there's almost two parts to it. Number one is the thinking part. Um, You know, uh, research, uh, blogs, excuse me, uh, having an opinion, right? And not always the, the vanilla opinion, but something that says, Hmm, yeah, that makes kind of sense. That's the first part. The second is the production, the evidence. You know, it's, it's books you've written, it's white papers you've written, it's uh, it's articles, it's podcast episodes, it's blogs, it's conference presentations, um, it's consulting assignments, it's media interviews. All these types of things are the evidence of the thought leadership. You know, you don't get asked to speak at a conference unless somebody thinks you've got something to say. You don't get hired uh, to do a particular role unless Somebody thinks that you know something about it.
0: Where do you start? How do you build Uh, that brand of thought leadership?
1: Well, I think that there's an interesting dichotomy between uh, becoming a thought leader and building the brand of a thought leader, right? So, Mm -hmm. So becoming a thought leader is, yeah, absolutely. Do that thinking. Do that research. Dive deep in your particular thing, get involved, you know, write the book, write all the articles, get on, you know, media, et cetera. And, and as that happens, you start to develop a followership. And I'm not talking about a social media followership, followership mm-hmm. but that's true too. Um, and, and, and I think that's how you start. Um, and, and if I could just do a bit of a sidebar here, there's almost an entire area of marketing called, you know, influencer marketing. These are the celebrities or the people who've got millions of followers on Instagram or on Facebook, et cetera. And, and you know, you, you, they show pictures of what food they they've eaten. This is not thought leadership, you know, um, influencers right. are not necessarily thought leaders, thought leaders, but are definitely influencers to, to the particular group that they're, that they're leading.
0: How do you become a thought leader within your corporation? Is it the same format?
1: Well, you know, I guess the question is, is really uh, back to what, uh, what what you know an awful lot about, which is influence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when we talk about being a thought leader, it's not this generic amorphous kind of term. It's the question of thought leader for who. And sometimes people are thought leaders within their entire industry. Some people are thought leaders around the world, in every industry. Some people are thought leaders in a particular narrow field, some within their organization, whatever the size of the organization is. And, and you know, in every organization, there's somebody who says, um, you know, what would so-and-so do? You know, what would so-and-so, you know something, I think we should check with so-and-so. They've always got an interesting perspective. Now, I'm not talking about the big boss who's the authoritarian who doesn't like their staff or their... Or the organization do anything without you know them putting their imprimatur check mark on it i'm talking about the internal trust and that you've been able to generate within because uh of, of your deep expertise and that's the importance the deep expertise that other people say you know maybe we should have that person on the committee and gee you know when you're on that committee you perform right you do a great job you demonstrate that in fact, their decision to put you there was the right one. And, and that's internally, I think how you get started and then you keep doing it.
0: So one of the things that I'm hearing you say is they have to have disability. They have to have the courage to be provocative and be heard.
1: Uh, yeah, I think it's, the, the word courage is a great word. I wouldn't have thought of that myself and that's a great insight, um, but you know, if you don't do anything, you're never going to, you know, you're never going to amount to anything, you know, fortune favors the bold. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I I do take exception to the word provocative because some people like to create a lot of drama and they Mm -hmm. like to be provocative for the purpose of being provocative, being a thought leader and having an opinion doesn't mean that you're stepping on other people's opinions, being provocative as a thought leader means getting people to say, That's really an incredible insight that we haven't been able to figure out, wow, that's going to make a huge difference to what we're doing. That kind of provocative, I buy into Mm -hmm. the drama provocative. um, That's not going to be very helpful here, is it?
0: No. And on that note, you've wrote an article on how do you differentiate between real thought leaders from the fakers? Uh I'm so interested to hear that story. And so, so
1: yeah, because, you know, because it's such an important aspect of being competitive at an individual or, or, or actually a brand level too, um, you know, it's very hard. You know, how do you assess whether somebody's real or fake? Uh, I've got, a, I've got a, a list of 10. I'll go over a couple of them. Um, you Love know, it. one of them is, is the activity level test. Now, how active are they? How often do they post uh, original thinking? You know, how many shares, comments, likes, and retweets? This isn't social media, but how often do they actually do stuff as opposed to sitting back and, you know, relying on some old reputation? Number two, we'll call call the Google test. If you, for example, did a search on Google for choosing a digital strategy speaker, who would actually come up if that's what you're actually an expert in? Me, Mm -hmm. it's digital strategy right? I would probably guess my name would come up. I hope my name would come up near the top. Okay. So if you think uh, of, of what your expertise is, where you claim your thought leadership, put that term, not your name, but put that term into Google and see if you come up and see who else comes up. Because maybe yeah. by identifying those thought leaders and connecting with them a little bit, uh, you know, there's be, there'll be some synergy, it will be some good learning, right? So those, those are two Uh, A third one probably is the most important, uh, which is what I call the peer acknowledgement test. And this is the question of who says you're a thought leader, because if if your peers don't see you as a thought leader, you're probably not a thought leader, right? If those in your organization don't see you as a thought leader, you're probably not one. Um, And sometimes this peer acknowledgement is demonstrated by um, earned professional recognition within their field. Okay, uh, I'm a fellow, sort of FCMC, fellow of the Certified Management Consultants. Well, that's a peer recognition. I know that you've got a a number of different ones yourself, Roz. But think about, you know, and I'm speaking to our listeners, you know, what awards have you got in your industry? You know, what kind of uh, uh, professional designations, honorifics, have you got because of your contributions to your particular field beyond your day job? You know, and, and then, of course, there's the informal kind of peer recognition. But the peer recognition that's visible for everybody is a good indicator of thought leadership. Just stepping away from the conversation for a moment here to remind you that earlier episodes of Roz's podcast, including interviews with business experts, as well as her own extensive knowledge base, are all available at usheroff.com. That's U S-H-E-R-O-F-F.com under the podcast link. You can also subscribe through iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Roz on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and links to those channels are also on the website. And finally, if you are interested in customized virtual training in executive presence, communication, leadership, or conducting a compelling meeting, please reach out to Kathy, C-A-T-H-Y, at usheroff.com, and she will be delighted to set up a meeting. And now, back to our conversation.
0: This sounds all wonderful and, and very methodical, but we're so rushed. We're so stressed out. We have so little time for ourselves. How do we carve out time to do all that you're suggesting? So obviously I could say of being disciplined, huh, but that's not enough, is it?
1: No, no. Let's just step way, way back. Okay. First of all, I'm not saying that everyone has to be a thought leader. Everyone should have their own career strategy where this may or may not fit in. You know, when you're sitting, listening to music, is the volume at, at like one or two, or did you crank it right up to 10? Right. Right. So everyone's got to decide where their volume is and how it fits in. So let's just make the assumption now as, as, as you did that, that it does fit in. So if it does fit in, the question is, well, how do you, how do you do so? I guess uh, the best way to answer that is, um, when you scale a mountain, you do it one step at a time. You know, once you write the book, it's already, it's already written. You know, if, if, if writing is your thing, then thank you very much. You could write one paragraph, uh, sorry, one uh, blog post a week. After 52 weeks, you'll have basically 52 pages. You know, after three years, you basically have a book, edit it down, and, and there you've got it, right? So th- there's ways of doing this one step at a time. And, you know, yeah,
0: yeah, just to interrupt you for a second. So, just on the subject of writing books, because I have a lot of clients say, Hey, I have a story, I'd like to write a book. And then I'm going to put it out to the universe and I'm going to sell it. And I say to them, Okay, well, what's better to do? Write the book and then hope people buy it or build your reputation, differentiate yourself, be seen as a thought leader, then offer the book to reinforce or validate your knowledge. What, what are your thoughts? Because you've written many books.
1: Yeah, so I, I've, I've written eight, okay. And uh, you know, one of them's a, 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 a bestseller, a, a real bestseller, not an Amazon bestseller. <laughs> oh, yes, um, I
0: know those. I know those people very well. <laughs>
1: yes, Roz, listen, uh, you, your, your question can be uh, um, summed down to uh, what came first, a chicken or an egg? Right. In some place, in some cases, the act of writing the book which forces you to dig deep and structure your thinking in a particular way is critically important to to somebody's strategy. And another, for example, um, it might be doing a whole ton of speaking, let's just say, and as a result of that, you know, guess what? You you need a book to to help expand what your thought was from the stage. In other cases, this is kind of where it came from for me, uh, I've consulted with hundreds of major organizations on the digital strategy. And guess what? Every time you do another engagement, you learn more and your, your frameworks and models become yes. more and more robust. And so it was just a question of saying, okay, let's just codify in a book, the stuff that I'm doing every single day, mm-hmm. right? And what volume they need to turn it up to is, is, is also part of the mix. And by the way, if, if it is zero, Maybe somebody shouldn't be focusing on thought leadership. Maybe they should be focused on being a trusted advisor.
0: Tell me, um, you had some other points that you were going to finish on thought leadership before, and then I want to go into what is a trusted advisor.
1: Okay, so let me, I'll give you a few more, uh, uh, few more yeah. tests for determining whether somebody's a thought leader. When, when, when you think somebody is or not, you want to, or maybe you want to use these tips to say, test to say, hey, how do I do better myself? Here's one. We just talked about it. Uh, The longevity test. How long have you been doing it? You know, Malcolm Gladwell famously said you need 10,000 hours doing something before you're an expert. But you know what? Um, Maybe after 20 or 30,000, maybe you've got such depth of knowledge in there. It means something very different. So how long have you been doing it? It doesn't magically happened so mm-hmm. you know, it was amazing all these people who are experts in real estate who suddenly became experts in y2k who became experts all of a sudden in social media who experts in something you know turn the channel they're an expert on something else every single day of the week and and that's not you know passing the longevity test i'll give you another one the author speaker test you know um Uh, I'm not talking about the self-published books, okay? Some of them are, by the way, are excellent. I'm not Mm -hmm. denigrating them in any way. But if you've got a traditionally published book or books, that means that, you know, and your agent, for example, believed in you. An acquisitions editor said, hey, you know what? This is something that we think will be selling. Um, You know, uh, somebody's done their due diligence and says, yeah, there's a market need for that particular book. And by the way, this person is the best person to write it. Right so if somebody's an author of that nature you know that there's been a lot of due diligence by people or experts yes. in the area to say yeah for sure the speaker part of it is is very simple you know gee i remember at the beginning of my professional speaking career you know i thought uh, gee 500 to to get up on a podium and speak was was just absolutely wonderful but obviously you, you can't make a living at at that but but you know as you're speaking uh, fees raised to, to, to five figures or so, all of a sudden it becomes actually a real business. Somebody is willing to actually pay money to listen to what you have to say and perhaps motivate a group of people to, to, to get to a higher level, whatever it happens to be. So, you know, are, are they a professional speaker? Do they have a certified speaking professional designation? Like all of that is encompassed in that particular test. Bill, you know, whether you're a professional speaker or, or just a senior executive or, or mid-level manager even, um, that pays dividends because you develop the skill to, be able to share expertise in a way that other people are more likely to say, yeah, that makes sense to me. And boy, the person is actually a person of, of, of influence. And, and if doing it at associations or, or other events externally most most of my time as a senior executive uh, was actually speaking but within the organization and and that is a huge dividend if you develop that skill
0: what i recommend is doing it for for free not necessarily oh. putting a, a, a dollar amount but doing it outside of your organization where you build a confidence in how you're speaking to people. I know when I started my own business, I did so much for free and it was my pleasure. I still do it. It gave me a chance to test it out. And when you're not getting paid, sometimes the pressure is off. <laughs> so it just helped me to gain greater confidence and, and, and just experience with different types of audiences. I, I think that's
1: really that's really true. That's a, That's very insightful. Um, but I also, say, I also say this, thank you very much. Uh, most of the people who are listening to this particular podcast, um, they're not speaking for free, actually. They're getting a very substantial paycheck, uh, you know, once a month or however long, much they get paid or however often they get paid. They are paid to speak and they're paid to think and they're paid to manage, they're paid to lead, et cetera. And so they may go outside and speak at an association or an external event. But believe me, there's expectations. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. Okay, but just because they're not paying you doesn't mean that you're not being paid. You're being paid by your employer and you're being asked to speak because of your, uh, of your connections, your expertise, your thought leadership. There's yeah, something in there. And by the way, uh, if, if, if some of the people who are listening are a little uncomfortable about it, um, you know, there's plenty of coaches that can help, but there's also many organizations like Toastmasters And finding a Toastmasters group that caters to senior people um, is just another way to to develop some of this expertise and comfort.
0: Right, and also people could be speaking uh, outside of organizations or around business in their own personal life. It could be at their community centers. I just want to reiterate that it's important for people to give themselves a chance to get out of their comfort and expose themselves to not always knowing, you know, the people around them that they're talking to to get comfortable being uncomfortable. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's really important as a stepping stone. Could I move the conversation? I'm so curious because trusted advisor resonates deeply within me and being able to be seen as a trusted advisor I don't think it's something you could demand how do you describe it how do we get to be seen that way
1: well a trusted advisor is defined as exactly what it sounds like you're somebody who helps somebody else and you're trusted you know you're not self-serving uh you 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 know you you'd it's not that you don't care about yourself, but when somebody asks for your advice, you give them the best advice for, for them. Here's an example. A client comes to me and says, you know, Randall, um, you know, I, I, I've always come to you, not that they would say this, but um, I wouldn't mind your perspective on such and such. You know, we're, we're going to acquire a new company. We're going to, uh, I don't know, open a new factory. That's a good one. And I have to tell you, I know nothing about opening new factories, nothing. Okay, but they came to me and asked me, and I'd say, "Well, what's your question?" And they said, "Well, we're concerned about this location for that one." And and if I was a if I was not a trusted advisor, I would try and answer that question themselves, myself. I might even pitch them an engagement where I would try and solve their problem, right? But guess what? I know that I'm not an expert in that area. There's a lot of other people who can do. Far better than me, so I would say, gee, Pat, thanks for asking. That really isn't my area of, uh, of expertise. It seems like some of these things might be factors, but let me let me um, suggest uh, a couple of people that I think really are experts in that area, and they might be able to help you. And and the fact that I'm able to 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 say no, I'm not the person, but really they are over there. They are over there. Is something that. Not only does it mean their problem gets solved, but more importantly, they see me as their trusted advisor. It's not all about me. It's all about me helping them, even if it means I'm actually not going to be the one who's doing the helping. And that's, that's the core of being a trusted advisor. You know, before they decide to do anything major, uh, one of the things that they may think of is, you know, maybe I'm not so sure. I wonder what Randall thinks. You know, gee, let me take you out for dinner, Randall. I wouldn't mind just, you know, getting your views on something, you know, and, and that that's what a trusted advisor is. And for those who are in professional services, for those who are in um, business development and sales, for those in executive roles, this is an exceptionally important attribute to have. You know, it doesn't, you don't have to have it, but in terms of a strategy for success, it's very potent.
0: I know that you talk about the four steps between trust and influence. Would you be open to sharing it?
1: <laughs> well, it's not really steps. Uh, I I th- I think because we've we've spent some time talking about thought leadership, and we've spent some time a little bit of time talking about being a trusted advisor. And sometimes people conflate the two as mm-hmm. if they're kind of the same thing. And mm-hmm. I think if, if you can imagine a two by two matrix. Okay, along the bottom is thought leadership, and up and down is being a trusted advisor. You can be a great trust, you can be a, a super trusted advisor, but have very little thought leadership. You know, you can have lots of thought leadership and very little, you know, trust, if you will, uh, in terms of your strategy. And, and, you know, if you take a look at those, those four quadrants, you can almost give them different names. And, and, and I, I call them, it's kind of funny, but it's very true. I call them the golfers, stars, commodities, and academics. Tell me about golfers. (laughs) Just because we all like golf, no? Uh, So (laughs) golfers are are, are great uh, when it comes to relationships, right? Trusted advisor. But they're not great thought leaders, right? They may not be experts in their particular area at a high, high, high level. And is there anything wrong with being a golfer? Well, it's good exercise. You're outside. But in this context, no, there isn't, there's nothing wrong with it. There's some people that are so skilled at being a golfer, super high trusted leadership, but you know, thought, uh, sorry, trusted advisor, but thought leadership just, it's not their thing. Mm. Right. And and that's, that's what a golfer is. If we look at the other corner, if you will, it is the academics. These people are the thought leaders. They've done detailed research. They know every single little thing about that particular area, everybody knows that they are the undisputed, undisputed expert thought leader in that particular place. But you know what, being a trusted advisor, that's really not kind of part of who they are. They're, they're very, very low in the trust advisor sort of scale, but they're thought leaders. And is there anything wrong with being an academic? No, not at all. People will beat a path to your door because you can solve their problems, right? Um, the, the, the challenging one, the most challenging of the four is the commodity. These are people with no thought leadership and have not done anything on the trusted advisor scale. There's millions of people here. And this is the, the, the corner of death because it doesn't help your career. It doesn't make a difference in your organization. And it's a, it's a strategy to go nowhere fast. So you know, if you're a commodity, you got to choose. Are uh, you going to move up the trusted advisor axis? You're going to move across into the thought leadership. But if you are a commodity, you know, okay, there's nowhere to go but up. All is good if from that perspective. Right. Star though, that's kind of the the uh, the pinnacle. This is where you're both a thought leader in a major way, but you're also a trusted advisor. And this spot is actually really hard to do because something that we talked about earlier and that I hear all the time is where do I find the time? If I'm spending all this time on building relationships and everything, how do I also find time to also um, develop deeper and deeper uh, expertise and thought leadership? So not very many people are in that star quadrant, um, but you could certainly aspire there. If you know that it's there, you can start to head towards it. You're an academic, moving up just a little bit, turning the volume a little bit up on the trusted advisor moves you towards a star. If you're a golfer, okay, turning that volume, that thought leadership volume up just a little bit moves you towards being a star. So that, that, that's kind of the way I look at it. And, 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 and it's a great way for, for all of our listeners, actually, viewers, to, uh, to, to think about where they are too
0: so what you're telling me and all our viewers is the pinnacle of success is to reach that star status but it does take a lot of work a lot of discipline i'm just loving everything you're saying there's so much i have to do you've inspired me to think about how i show up in the media what i need to do how many books i need to write articles It's overwhelming. Is there anything you could do to summarize all your wisdom today that allows us to take that first step, as you suggested?
1: So, you know, uh, you you said it very well. And I think probably the most important thing is is this. If you recognize where you are and you recognize where you want to go, then half the job is done. Mm-hmm. Because you now defined your direction. If you need to build up a little bit more on the thought leadership, guess what? Now you actually know what to do. My experience is a lot of people waste a lot of their time doing things that don't meet, move them towards what their objectives might actually be. Yes. So, so finding time to do some of this stuff really is the question of saying, how do I turn off some of the things that I'm not that that are that are time wasters that aren't getting me to where I'm, I'm supposed to go, you know, the, you know a marathon runner, okay? Um, oh my God, I'm in, I'm in awe of these athletes. I certainly can't do it. Problem with bad knees and 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 so on. Um, I'd be thrilled to 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 be able to run around the block, okay? Honestly, mm-hmm. okay. But a marathon runner, they they're going for you know, I don't know, dozens of miles. And if they're able to slice off one second or two seconds off that marathon, they, they feel like a million bucks. So here's my question. What if they didn't spend as much time getting that extra one or two seconds on something that they're already so, so good at? What if they spent a little bit more time, I don't know, doing weights, okay? Or, or uh, doing art or doing something that they haven't developed so much themselves. I'm not saying focus on your weaknesses. You should focus On your strengths. But -hmm. you know, at the margin, if you are such an amazing golfer, will you get as much benefit to being an even better golfer? You might want to, that's your choice. But if you're concerned about how to become a better uh, academic, how do I move more to the thought leadership, maybe that extra erg of effort to become an even better golfer will get you far, far greater. Uh, on the thought leadership scale, if you use that time there. So I don't know if that sort of helps under, you know, a perspective on it, Uh, but that's the way I look at it.
0: No, I, I think this is so helpful. It's about prioritizing. It's about having boundaries. It's about knowing when good is good enough and how to diversify. So you expand your reputation Randall, you are just amazing. I can't thank you enough for your time, your charisma, your wisdom. And my wish is that people watching this will get as much self-satisfaction and inspiration from you as I have. Thank you so much.
1: It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Roz.
0: Take care. Thank you all for listening.